Welcome to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Oline, Vicar Albert Bader. We are privileged to serve at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. What you heard there, O Sons and Daughters of the King, is the hymn of the day for the second Sunday of Easter. And that's what we're going to be looking at. The uh, hymn does a beautiful job of recounting the events of this um Easter encounter that Jesus has with the disciples uh, uh, recorded for us in John 20, 19 to 31. That's the gospel reading for the second Sunday of Easter. But as we always do, we want to take a look to get us started at the introit, uh, setting the stage for us for what we're about to uh, worship and experience this coming Sunday on the second Sunday of Easter. And I'll also put a plug in for Pastor Moline's new uh, radio program, Bringing Bach Back, made its uh, debut on Easter, and you'll be able to hear a new episode of that every other week. I can't tell you the exact times uh, right now, but uh, listen for the promos and uh, uh, listen to that program. It'll... uh, enhance you not only musically but theologically episode 14 of at home in your hymnal we also have a lot of Bach and we look at the season of Easter in general so we got a lot of that stuff going on pastor do you have anything to add at this point in time well I was just going to say that the uh, ratings uh, for the bringing Bach back were through the roof I think we had at least uh, 350,000 people listening so a real good um, debut episode. And I'm reminded to tell you uh, where liars will go, Pastor. <laughs> uh, our radio station is so small that we don't have those kind of numbers, but it is fun to joke with and uh, to joke about. Now, in our um, second Sunday of Easter introit, we have a f- selected verses from Psalm 81, and then we're bracketed. The antiphon is from 1 Peter 2, verse 2. So, uh Vicar, take it away. Like newborn infants, alleluia. Long for pure spiritual milk of the word, alleluia. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. In distress you called, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. And with honey from the rock, I will satisfy you. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. What in the world are we talking about the deliverance of the children of Israel from Pharaoh and the Egyptians here during the season of Easter? Pastor, is, uh, is this a typo? Is this a mistake? What's happening? No, it's not a typo or a mistake at all. In fact, the reality is, uh, if we're going to go back and, and look at history, this is uh, pretty close to the uh, anniversary day of when the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea uh, on dry ground and, and uh, escaped from Pharaoh in that regard. We had the Passover is basically uh, the same time of the year uh, as Easter and Good Friday. Uh, in fact, Good Friday is... Uh, uh, the, the Saturday there, that Passover Saturday, uh, is the commemoration of it. And then after Passover, the people of Israel left Egypt, and they started wandering towards uh, the Holy Land, and uh, they're chased by Pharaoh and crossed the Red Sea at just this time. And so all these things are historically happening at this time in the church year. 
Vicar, uh, some people would say that the great salvation event in the Old Testament is the deliverance of the children of Israel out of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, uh, and that is connected to the great deliverance event uh, and points forward to its fulfillment and completion of the great deliverance event in all of Scripture, which is Good Friday and Easter. Uh, Would you make that connection, and how would you do so? Yes, I think that's a great connection to make. Uh, We see in the people of Israel when they're crossing over the Red Sea, They make it safely to the other side, and then the waters come down on top of Pharaoh, hard-hearted Pharaoh and his host, and they drown and die. And the people are now safe on the other side, being shepherded by God and the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And we see that come to its fulfillment in Jesus when he rescues us from sin, death, and the devil by dying and having his rest in the tomb, totally defeating all all of our enemies for us, and then now we have God, Jesus Christ, our true shepherd, reigning over us and guiding us onto eternal life, just as God guided the people of Israel towards the promised land. Before we uh, take a look at that antiphon from First Peter chapter 2, the selected verses of Psalm 81 in the introit, as they almost always do in the introit, uh, got kind of a new appreciation, even greater appreciation for the introits during uh, our season of Lent when uh, Pastor Moline preached on Wednesdays uh, on the introits. I did a lot of introit preaching during Holy Week. the, the way the Word of God is constructed and put together in these introits is almost a sermon, a mini-sermon in and of itself. So we have Psalm 81, verse 1, 7a, 10, and 16b put together here. And uh, it's, uh, it starts out by sing aloud to God our strength, shout for joy to the God of Jacob. We have, you know, the the singing and the shouting of joy, the singing and rejoicing that goes in the season of Easter. So that seems to fit. And then it says, In distress you called, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. Um, I'm baffled, Pastor. The secret place of thunder. Any clue what in the world that is? Well, off the top of my head, my uh, connection would be to the book of Revelation when the seven thunders speak and uh, John seals that message up and no one knows what it says. And it seems that that's the way God oftentimes uh, tells us that he knows a lot of stuff that we don't know. And perhaps the reason that thunders connect to that is uh, if you have a really loud blast of thunder and we're having a conversation, you might not be able to hear what I'm saying while that thunder is uh rolling through the uh, hills of Lincoln, Nebraska. And so oftentimes the thunder, I think, represents that secret knowledge of God where he understands what he's doing, but we as sinful human beings don't. And uh, could we also connect that thunder imagery that you just brought out with the thunder imagery that we have on Mount Sinai, where God is a thundering, thunderous voice, and we can't handle... God as he is fully and completely unless God hides himself, unless God robes himself. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, God needs to speak to us in um, 
uh, veiled ways, in toned-down ways, and we need to trust God that he will give us what we can handle when we need it. Is that a, is that a, a connection that you think uh, might be legit? Yeah, I, I think that's definitely a part of it as well. Uh, we also could think of, um, you know, Elijah uh, when he uh, sees God and God, there's the, the earthquake and there's the wind and there's the thunder, and then God's there not in all those things because we can't handle it that way, but rather he comes in his word, uh, the still small voice, and, and it's not that thing from within you, it's Rather, the revealed word as it's recorded for us in Scripture, that is the way God comes to us. And that's exactly where where the uh, uh, little mini-sermon of constructed verses here in Psalm 81 take us. Um, it declares, you know, I, I've taken care of you in the past. I'm the Lord your God. I brought you up out of the land of Egypt, and uh, I'm going to be with you in the future. And then he says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. What word picture do you get there, Vicar? Uh, you know, you're a, you're a farm boy. You're a man of the earth. You like to hunt and fish. You're out in the country. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. What, what, what comes to mind? Well, actually, none of the farm or anything like that came to mind. Uh, being a new father, I'm thinking of my son when I have a spoonful of baby food, and he's sitting there wide-mouthed just waiting for me to stick it in because he hasn't quite figured out how to do that himself. And uh, that's what God's saying here. We are God's children, and he takes care of us just like a father would take care of his young child. And uh, what do we do with all this? It's really nothing we do at all. We open our mouth, and we receive the gifts of God. Do you torment your son, too? You know, play little games like I'm an airplane here. Well, and travel to spoon around in a figure eight to see if you'll follow it. Uh, do you Have you learned any of those daddy games yet? Those are very fun games to do uh, when mom is not present. Oh, because sometimes yeah. it goes a little Amen. too far and, you know... She doesn't like him to cry. Yeah. So. Mom, mom, like, <laughs> mom likes, needs to lighten up with some of that, too. So, uh, yeah, it is. And you get the picture of the little bird uh, with its mouth open and mama bird uh, feeding into the baby bird. You, or, or I wasn't raised on a farm like the vicar, but uh, a bottle calf, right? The yep. same sort of thing. Uh, you, you see a lot of these images in nature. You see a lot of these images with little children, and that takes us back to that, uh, like newborn infants, we should just, uh, sh- you know, if your mouth is open for food, you can't be talking. So there's that connection there. Just, just shut up and receive. Just shut up and listen. And God's not going to just fill our mouth with anything. He's going to fill it with honey from the rock and satisfy us. Pastor, what is he going to fill our mouths with, this honey from the rock that satisfies? I'd say all these things uh, are teaching us about Jesus. Jesus is the rock on which our faith is founded. Uh, The the word that satisfied uh, is Jesus. And uh, even then, to go back to Revelation again, uh, oftentimes there's talk about eating a scroll. I think this is in Ezekiel as well. And uh, the scroll tastes sweet to the mouth. Uh, Of course, those ones don't taste good to the stomach. But now we know this is the rock that satisfies. This is Jesus. So it's it's good to eat. It tastes good, and it fills us and uh, makes us glad. The uh, the word picture that we use oftentimes for people that are serious about the Bible, the Word of God, uh, learning about things that God has revealed to us, we would say that we should read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest 
the word of God, the teachings of God. And that takes us back to that uh, antiphon, that bracket on the uh, beginning and the end of our introit, like newborn infants, uh, like little Dawson, uh, Vickers uh, chip off the old block, long for the pure spiritual milk. And then the words are added there. They're not in that first Peter text, but it's clear that the pure spiritual milk is the word of God. Pastor, the second Sunday of Easter, the Sunday after Easter, is traditionally called, uh, jokingly by pastors, Low Sunday. Lots of people come to church on Easter, and then the Sunday after Easter, church is pretty empty. Uh, Is it any coincidence that this particular text is used here in our introit on a Sunday when a lot of people knowingly and willingly have said, I've had enough church for the year. Maybe Christmas, but I'll be back again next Easter. What do you Uh, think? I think it's probably appropriate. I think it's maybe at the wrong time. Maybe they need to know this message before this Sunday comes. Maybe this needs to be a message when we have a a lot of people there to hear it. But uh, it is certainly the case that we need to hear God's word as often as possible um, in the same way that the uh, snow and the rain fall from heaven and water the earth and do not return empty. Uh, so, too, God promises to be that way with his word, uh, and we ought to be in that word and be glad to hear it. Connection with deliverance from bondage in Egypt. God who answers us in uh, ways that are, are hidden from, from reason and emotion. God telling us simply to be quiet and open our mouths and receive. Receive what? Receive forgiveness, life, and salvation earned by the bloody death and glorious resurrection of Jesus. This is Proclaiming the One. We need to take a short break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader. We're looking at the readings for the second Sunday of Easter. Each week, we take a look at the readings in the one-year series in Lutheran Service Book, Proclaiming the One. Yes, we're looking at the readings from the one-year series, but more importantly, we're proclaiming the one and only Savior from sin, our Lord Jesus Christ. In this season of Easter, especially early on, we get a look at some of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, and one of the uh, most important and most significant for a variety of reasons is recorded for us in John 20, 19 to 31. John 20, 19 to 31. The hymn that you heard as the intro for this program is uh, O Sons and Daughters of the King. It is 
the hymn of the day for the second Sunday of Easter, and it is a musical retelling of what you are about to hear right now. Vicar, take it away. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Okay, there you have it, the gospel reading for the second Sunday of Easter, John twenty nineteen to 31. And when I approach this text, I like to look at it in three separate units. Uh, there, there are things that are happening here in the first few verses that happen uh, on that first Easter night. There are things that happen in the middle part of this text that happen one Sunday after Easter, and that's why this reading is always read the Sunday after Easter. One of the few times when this gospel reading for the one-year series in LSB is also the gospel reading in Series A, Series B, and Series C in the three-year readings. So that's why uh, this text is that significant that it is read Every year, no matter what series uh, you're reading, on the Sunday after Easter. And then at the end, we have kind of a general blanket statement about the the purpose of things that are going on and uh, the purpose of the Bible as well. So let's take a look at the uh, first uh, part here, John 20, and that would be 19 through 23. 19 through 23. Uh, Set the stage for us, Pastor, here. Uh, When is this happening, and why are the uh, disciples all huddled together? Well, this is the evening of that uh, first Easter. Um, It is um, uh, 
towards the afternoon at the very latest, maybe the uh, the evening. The sun probably not yet set. Um, the morning, uh, the women had gone to the tomb and found out that Jesus wasn't there. Uh, the one had seen Jesus, and uh, they had ran, and they had told the disciples uh, what they had seen, the empty tomb, and that uh, they had seen Jesus resurrected. Uh, Peter and John ran to the tomb, and they got there, and they saw that the tomb was empty, uh, just as the women had said. And uh, so they go back to the uh, this upper room. This would be where the Lord's Supper was uh, held just a few days before, and they're kind of all hiding out. And that, I think, uh, tells part of the reason that they're terrified of the Jews. Number one, um, are they going to be uh, arrested and crucified, just as Jesus was a few days ago? Number two, they're probably a little nervous about Jesus, who's uh, come back from the dead, and uh, um, what's he going to say to these people that ran away from him and uh, um, denied him and all the rest of that? And so there's, there's a lot of nervousness across the whole board here for these gentlemen at the beginning of this text. I think it is uh, very, very uh, hard for Christians sitting in the pew to think that the disciples were afraid potentially of Jesus coming back to take revenge. Uh, the disciples had all forsaken him. Peter had uh, out and out denied him. Judas is already dead uh, because of uh, his remorse over his uh, betrayal of Jesus. And so not only is the general atmosphere that, that maybe some of Jesus' followers are going to be rounded up and they're going to be next, but if Jesus really is alive, then maybe Jesus is coming back to exact punishment and revenge and retribution on the people, the very people that had been with him for three years and failed him. It's hard for us to hear that, but the people in the pews today sometimes have a similar attitude about how God works and the very nature of God. You want to talk about that, Pastor? Well, I was even going to say, you know, the message that um, Jesus told the women, go and tell my brothers uh, that I've, I've raised from the dead, um, so that the ladies come and say that, how do you take that message? Oh, go and tell my brothers, those guys who <laughs> abandoned me, that uh, I'm... I'm arisen you know or is it really you know there's interpretation and and these people in this terrible fearful time how are they going to take these words and and i think there are people that feel the same way that uh you know god uh, uh you know pastor if you only knew what i'd done you'd understand why god could not forgive me or that why he's going to come and get me or why this bad thing is happening in my life now it's probably payback for this thing that i did several years ago uh people think that way and uh it's it's too bad that we do that but that's the reality of a sinful nature and that is the importance of preaching the whole counsel of god to real people who are full of very real fears and worries and misunderstandings about the nature of god now right off the bat jesus comes and stands in the midst of them uh the doors being locked uh jesus come and stood among them now folks don't buy the lie of the liberal scholars that say Jesus crawled in the window here. 
Uh, some people will go to amazing gymnastic lengths to try to avoid the fact that Jesus is God and that a locked door is not going to keep him out. Uh, Jesus is God in the flesh, but he is able to be anywhere he wants to be anytime he wants to be. I think it's uh, also dishonest to assume that uh, houses back then had big windows that just anybody could climb in anytime they want to. If you got the door locked, you're going to have the window barred too uh, to keep thieves out for the same reason you have a door on the front of your house. It, it's just it's intellectually dishonest to say, oh, the doors are locked, but Jesus came in the window. Yes, and the uh, the very ones that would say Jesus crawled in the window are the ones that would deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus anyway, maybe even saying that he faked his death and resurrection, and that kind of nonsense. I think that's the other part, too. It's not Jesus the ghost in here either. It is Jesus, the human being who is God, appearing there in the midst of them. Yes, and in case you uh, you uh, need a little bit more, just keep reading in John. By the time you get to the end of John 21, he's uh, baking a fish sandwich breakfast for the disciples when uh, they uh, didn't go fishing. So uh, but we're ahead of ourselves here. Uh, there, Jesus comes and stands among them. The locked door couldn't keep them out. And the very first words out of Jesus' mouth are what, Vicar? Peace be to you. Shalom. Peace be with you. Why does Jesus say, peace be with you? What's the message that he's communicating to these uh, wobbly need, uh, fearful disciples who think Jesus might be back for revenge? Another way that uh, we might say this, peace be with you, is absolution. Jesus here is saying, you are forgiven. Uh, You, Peter, who denied me three times, you are forgiven. All of you who fled away from me and weren't even at the foot of my cross when uh, I was being crucified, you are forgiven. I have raised from the dead, and I have earned for you that forgiveness. And that is a true peace that we have through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well said, and I don't think we can emphasize that enough. Uh, When you go to the divine service, or even one of the prayer services for that matter, when you go to the divine service, listen to all the times the word peace is used in the liturgy and how it is used. Most of the time, whenever you hear the word peace, it is almost like shorthand or code word for forgiveness. The peace of the Lord be with you. You are forgiven. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, united by the blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are united in our sin, and more importantly, united in our forgiveness. So, Jesus uh, then, uh, again, to show that he's not a ghost, shows them his hands and side. And to see that the disciples understood the message of Jesus. This is Jesus. This is not a ghost. This is the real one. You see the the stigmata on Jesus. And they were glad when they saw the Lord. And then Jesus says to them again, peace be with you. Pastor, when Jesus says peace be with you the second time, he's got a different plan or a different motive. The first time is an absolution. We're brothers. But the second time is a peace in prelude to a sending. This is one of the texts that is read whenever a pastor is ordained or installed into the office of the Holy Ministry. Vicar, hopefully you'll hear those words one day uh, spoken over you. What is going on next that is 
the Office of the Keys? Uh, the well, this is in fact the words that are used in the catechism to describe the office of the keys. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness, it's withheld. And this is Jesus establishing the office of the holy ministry. This is the reason they're going to go out. They're going to preach forgiveness earned by Jesus, crucified and risen. Uh, and that peace then that follows with that, that surpasses all understanding, is going to uh, be the very thing that holds the church together. Uh, and so Jesus is sending them out to do that work, to preach the word, to be Christians uh, in the world, and to uh, make sure that everyone everywhere understands how eternal life is given uh, and earned by Jesus. And this is an historical fact that uh, not only happened on that first Easter evening 2,000 years ago, but this continues on and on as the peace and forgiveness that Christ has won is distributed in and through the office of the Holy Ministry. We've got so much more that we need to talk about with regard to John 20, 19 to 31. Uh, we'll take up uh, this whole thing about the disciple who was absent from this great absolution and this great sending. Thomas, is he doubting Thomas or is that uh, a misnomer? We'll check that out when we come back. This is Proclaiming the One. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader. We're looking at the readings for the second Sunday of Easter, the uh, Sunday that is uh, traditionally titled Low Sunday. So uh, let's break the stereotype this year, be fired up about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, about the peace and forgiveness that he has won for you and distributes freely through word and sacrament in our uh, first segment of uh, this uh, particular episode, we looked at the introit, selected verses from Psalm 81 with an antiphon of 1 Peter 2, verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. Keep your mouth shut, open it, oh no, uh, open your mouth, keep quiet, keep your mouth shut, and let God put his word inside of you. That pretty well sums up what we're going to be looking at here. Uh, in part two, we looked at the establishment of the office of the keys in the first part of John 20. And now we're going to pick up John 20 at verse 24. And we have this um, ominous verse, John 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So all these things that we talked about in our previous segment, where Jesus came and gave them the great absolution, peace be with you. Jesus uh, basically ordained them into the office of the holy ministry, peace be with you, and then he sent them out with the task and the mission of the office of the keys, forgiveness, life, and salvation, the uh, loosening key and the binding key. And now we see that Thomas wasn't there. Thomas missed it. Uh, 
Pastor, what would you say about those who would speculate as to why Thomas wasn't there? I'd say that's all you could do is speculate. Uh, the uh, scripture is unclear. All it says is that he was not there. And so was he, we know he's not there for at least however long Jesus was there. Was he afraid and hiding somewhere else? We don't know. Was he at the grocery store? We don't know. Was he caught in uh, Passover traffic? We don't know. Uh, all we could do is speculate. Yeah, he could have been to the Sunday afternoon ball game down the street. Yeah, we, all we can do is speculate. And that kind of speculation might be fun, but whenever we try to add or subtract things from the Holy Scripture, sometimes we get ourselves in trouble, and more often than not, we get ourselves in big trouble. So let's not uh, let's not worry too much about why Thomas wasn't there, but uh, the important thing for us to to dwell on is the fact that he wasn't there. And, and even I'd say the people who say, you know, he's off somewhere else. Uh, hiding the fact that the other disciples were able to find him and talk to him and say we have seen the lord says something about you know the the fact that if he was hiding he wasn't doing very well at it at the very least so. yeah and and uh, you know maybe his uh you know sometimes in our grief or in our shame or whatever we just need to be alone we need to be alone and, and it might be something as simple as that but he missed it he missed out on the resurrection appearance of Jesus. He missed out on the great absolution. He missed his ordination ceremony. He missed being sent out. And so now we have the, um, the, the turmoil with somebody who missed out on the gifts of God, starting in verse 25. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see his hands uh, in his hands, the mark of his nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Pastor, uh, what would you say about this bold proclamation of Thomas that unless Jesus meets his criterion, he will not believe? Uh, I think I think it's a foolish thing uh, on his regard. Um, who are we to put um, uh, requirements upon God? If you do this and that, then we'll believe when, in fact, he tells us uh, what he's going to do to make us believe. And the way sometimes people say it is, you know, um, we shouldn't put God in a box. And in a way, that's true because God puts himself in the box he wants to be in, and that box is his word and his sacrament. And where that is, then people believe. And uh you know, if you say that's not the way I want him to be, then you're missing out on the goods that he's given, and that's uh, to your own shame and discredit, not to God's discredit. Uh, people foolishly do these things all the time. They do. Uh, if I get this grade or if I get into this college, then I'll believe. If uh, this guy or this gal will accept my marriage proposal, then I'll believe. If I get this promotion at work, uh, if uh, God removes this uh, affliction or this cancer from my body, then I will believe. If this particular prayer is answered, then I will believe. Uh, we play these games. Games all the time. We uh, we're kind of a modern day Gideon with the fleece. Look uh, look up that passage in Judges, and uh, uh, it is it is silly, it is shameful, and it displays either a serious weak faith or a lack of faith, one or the other. Pastor, comment on that. 
Well, I, I was just going to throw in some more things. You know, uh, this church fits more of my what I'm looking for in my style, as if that's the important thing. And it's not. It's always the word, the word, the word. So that's what we need. Uh, that's what we ought to look for. Yeah, I uh, along that line, and I don't want to get bogged down on this, but uh, sometimes when uh, when people uh, want to leave the church, want to transfer the church to a different church, and uh, it's because you know somebody made them unhappy in the parking lot, or they were upset about the uh, the way the capital campaign was handled, or uh, the sermons are too short or too long, or the music is too loud or too fast. You know, some of these kind of things. Uh, Oftentimes, I will write on the bottom of their letter of transfer to the pastor, I will say, I hope they find what they're looking for. I hope they find what they're looking for. Because many times, that's a quest that is never satisfied. So uh, Thomas has laid down the law. He's laid down the, uh, the rules and the speculation. And now we are eight days later. Why we have this reading on the second Sunday of Easter. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Again, let's not speculate, uh, but uh, I think it's sufficient to say if anything was going to happen, Thomas didn't want to miss it. Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Sounds almost like a little bit of deja vu here, uh, Vicar. Uh, is this is this a mistake in Scripture? Is this a a, uh, a scribal error where we have this redundancy? What's going on? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Uh, Jesus reminds them yet again that they are truly forgiven. He is risen from the dead, and he has defeated sin, death, and the devil for them and for all who believe. And that's why here the next Lord's Day, the next Sunday, he comes and speaks the same message. Uh, It's almost like every Sunday we gather together here at church, we basically speak the same message, that we are lost and condemned sinners, and thanks be to God, he has sent his Son to live a perfect life, die, and rise again so that your sins may be forgiven. It never gets old, or at least it shouldn't, because that is how we are saved, and that is what we hear each and every time we gather together in church. Thomas missed it, and uh, Jesus knew that Thomas missed it. Jesus knew the uh, bold statement that uh, uh, Thomas had said, and Jesus doesn't let Thomas miss anything. He comes and appears to them in exactly the same way. The doors are locked. Jesus is there. The first words out of Jesus' mouth, peace be with you. The great absolution is even there for silly, foolish, sign-demanding Thomas. And that ought to be great comfort for wayward sinners like you and me. And even what do you think God will say to us when we leave this world and enter the next? What do you suppose the first words might be? Uh, I think that's probably a pretty good uh, observation. How about this? What about somebody who has absented themselves from God's house for a long period of time? Somebody who um, uh, has uh, fallen from faith and by the grace of God hears the word and comes back. How, how do we handle that as pastors and members of the church? Do we say silly things like, oh, the rafters are going to come down. Look who just walked into the church. The guest book is over here, sir. Yeah. Or do we embrace them? Do we give them the uh, holy hug and the handshake of peace? Uh, or do we, uh, do we foolishly 
uh, act in a, uh, in a way that we shouldn't. I want to pick up here at verse 27. Then Jesus said to Thomas, and here we have a little bit of a difference. Uh, the second time Jesus spoke to the disciples a week earlier, he gave them a second peace be with you, and he ordained them. Here, because of Thomas's demands, Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Pastor, what's going on here? Well, Jesus, um, you know, to put it uh, bluntly, Jesus is meeting Thomas where he had said, you know, uh, it's kind of, um, you said you needed to touch my hand. Here it is. Go for it. You wanted to put your hand into my side? Look, here's the hole where the spear pierced me. Go for it. Uh, Jesus is showing uh, that to Thomas, but then he's also proving that he is physically resurrected. Um, this is a real body. This is something you can touch and uh, uh it's not just a, an apparition or a vision, uh, and that's important for us to point out as Christians for some of those uh, uh, non-believers who say, well, all the disciples just had a, a you know, stress-induced PTSD vision that Jesus rose from the dead. That's not the case. It's actually a real human body here. And, uh, Vicar, um, given the opportunity to uh, put his finger in the uh nail holes and his hand in the side of Jesus, what does Thomas do? He cries out, my Lord and my God. He is no longer in disbelief, but he is truly believing. Why do you think that Thomas doesn't take Jesus up at his offer? Why do you think Jesus, uh, Thomas doesn't, uh, uh, you know, do the touch test? What do you think, uh, what do you think's happening there? Well, I would say that... Jesus always works the same way for everyone across the board. And Thomas believes because Jesus says to him, do not disbelieve, but believe. And when that word comes to Thomas's ear, it does exactly what it says for him. And it creates and sustains faith within him. You made a big point out of the whole disbelieve and believe thing, Vicar, a moment ago. Most of the time when people think about Thomas, they think about doubting Thomas and uh, some uh, some translations of John twenty would call uh, Thomas doubting Thomas stop doubting and believe uh, teach us why it's important to know that Thomas was more than a doubter because if Thomas simply just doubted well he might have had a little bit of faith there that clung to the word of Christ which said I will rise from the dead. But if he is in total disbelief, this is a awesome thing that Jesus is doing for him. He is literally pulling him up from hell to eternal life by giving him saving faith. And when we're reading through the scriptures, we may, I don't want to say the word doubt really, but we may be bewildered by some of the stuff that we read. And how can this possibly be? Well, because God's word says it is so, and therefore we believe and cling to it through faith which he has given us. God's Word does what it says and says what it does. That's the last part of our gospel reading that we'll pick up when we come back. John 20, 19 to 31, proclaiming the one, second Sunday of Easter. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNA. LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska. 
Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the second Sunday of Easter. Please be reminded that we gather each Sunday at 8 and 1030 with Sunday School for All Ages in Between. Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska is located at 3825 Wildbriar Lane, just north of 40th and Old Cheney. We uh, invite you to come and join us, hear these words, join us in our Easter season celebration. We also gather every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. You can listen to us. All of our worship services are live on KNNALP 95.7. And you can check out this program or any other programs, including our worship services at our website, www.thecross957.org. And we are always, always, always happy to have your feedback and uh, tell us what we can do better. And if there's something particular that you want to hear on a program, we'll be happy to uh, make that happen as well. We're looking at the readings for the second Sunday of Easter. In our uh, first part, we looked at the introit in great detail. In uh, parts two and three, we looked at the first third and then the second half of the gospel reading, John 20, 19 to 31. And then we have this um, almost odd conclusion or ending, which makes it doubly odd because we're going to have another conclusion at the end of John 21. We don't have time to talk about that today. But at the end of John 20, verses 20, uh, 30 and 31, after Jesus has come on Easter, absolved the disciples, and uh, ordained them into the office of the Holy Ministry, after the whole uh, disbelieving Thomas, now believing Thomas, we have these two verses. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Pastor, when we were at the break, uh, you made a couple of comments that uh, I think our hearers need to uh, need to hear and uh, need to have you expand on them as well. There is a reason why this conclusion comes right after this whole doubting, disbelieving Thomas thing. Thomas didn't believe because he touched or because of some other great sign or miracle. How is the are these last two verses? connected to the conversion, I think it's fair to say that, the conversion of St. Thomas here in John 20. Thomas believed at the word of Jesus. Do not disbelieve, but rather believe. And that's the way it is throughout the entire Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, uh, Pentateuch, uh, writings, prophets, epistles, gospels. People never believe as a result of the miracle. They always believe as a result of the preaching and the word that goes with that miracle. Um, And I think the best place to see that, perhaps, is the book of Acts. 
where Peter and Paul uh, do miracles, and all it does is get people's attention, and they see, oh, look, these guys, they're somebody we ought to listen to. Uh, we even have with Paul, he does a miracle, and people believe wrongly as a result of that. They call him Zeus, uh, and I uh, who's with Zeus him Zeus and Hermes, I believe. Yeah, I Zeus and Hermes. Uh, and it's not until they preach a word uh, that explains Jesus crucified and risen, that the people actually start to come to the real faith. And that's the uh, words that John leaves us with here. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Um, It's the word, the written word, the preached word, the heard word that... um, creates and sustains faith. And the reason that is, is, and I, Luther's right in this, wherever the word is preached and taught in its truth and purity, the Holy Spirit is there working faith. Um, the, uh, um, the Holy Spirit's not floating around like our Pentecostal brothers and sisters believe that we have to find him, grab a hold of him, and invite him into our heart. He's wherever the Word is, and he's working wherever the Word is. And so the Word, 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 the Word is the—oh, no, that's the wrong song. Yeah. The Word is the important thing uh, for us Christians. The uh, if, you, if you've been a good shepherd— much at all in the last 22 years, you've probably heard that phrase because I use it a lot, the word, the word, the word. And uh, it is uh, not original. I got it from Luther. And when Luther uh, uses that as a preface, I believe it's in the preface of the Lenker edition of Luther's sermons, Luther's works, Lenker edition. That's where that's uh, where I picked it up from. But uh, when he talks about that threefold word, 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 he's talking about the word incarnate, the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about the word inscripturated, the Bible. And he's talking about the word that is connected to tangible things like water, bread, and wine. He's talking about the holy sacraments, the visible word. And so these are the things that God draws our attention to. These are the things that convert us in the faith. Pastor, what would you say to, uh, to a uh, Christian, to a seeker, who says, uh, yeah, 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 I know we have the word, but I want more. I want more, uh, you know, some sort of a sign, some sort of a wonder, uh, some sort of a miracle, some sort of uh, experience, uh, you know, speaking in tongues or, you know, something like that. What, what would you say to that uh, dear misguided brother or sister? Um, you know, I, Paul, and I can't quote it exactly off the top of my head, he says there are those who look for signs and uh, uh, those who uh, uh, want logic and reason and all these things. First Corinthians. There we go. Um, yet that's not the way God chooses to talk to you. And you can look for these things all you want to, and maybe you'll find something that uh, satisfies your appetite in that regard. And that's not how God promises to work faith in you. God only promises to be in his word and in his sacraments, and that's the place we ought to look for him because it's the place he promises to be. It'd be like um, my my uh, wife calling me on the phone and saying, let's meet for dinner. Uh, I'm going to be at Applebee's, uh, and I go and I drive over to uh, McDonald's, and then I'm all disappointed when I can't find her. Uh, I'm not looking where she promised to be. She promised to be at Applebee's. I need to go look for her there. God promises to be in his word. That's where we need to look for him. That uh, that verse that you were uh, reaching for is 1 Corinthians 1, 
22 and following. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. And I, but, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And I think the important words there are preached and called. Uh, that's what we have in our uh, catechism as well. The Holy Spirit calls, gathers, and enlightens and sanctifies the entire Christian church on earth. Uh, the content, Christ crucified, is important, but it comes to them through preaching. The uh, uh, faith comes by hearing, uh, Romans 10. The, uh, one of the saddest days that I ever had as a, uh, as a pastor was uh, a day when an individual came in and told me that, uh, that he was leaving the church. And he wasn't exactly sure where he was going to go, but he just knew he wasn't coming back here. And when I asked him uh, what the problem was, he said, Pastor, you have preached God's word to me in its truth and purity. You have administered the sacraments to me as God has given them to us. But I need more. I need more. And uh, I looked at this young man, and I said, I have nothing more to give. I have nothing more to give. Friends, if you are looking for something, some feeling, some experience, some miracle, some mountaintop high, or uh, you know, whatever, if you are looking for something more than what God has given us in God's Word, you are, to quote the old country western song, you are looking for love in all the wrong places. God's Word is sufficient for us. And it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. I pray that God would create in us a contentment and a satisfaction in addition to that uh, 1 Peter 2 passage that we looked at in our introit, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. Like Vicar said with his little boy uh, following the spoonful of peas around because he's so hungry, have your mouth open and uh, keep, keep all the other things shut and crave the word of God. John tells us here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Jesus did lots of stuff that are not written in the Bible. Um, the, uh, later on in John, the whole world couldn't contain the volumes if we wrote everything down. But it says these things are written for a purpose. What is that purpose, Pastor? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that first part is a direct reference to faith. The, the God creates saving faith in us. That faith clings to the person and work of Jesus Christ. He's the object of our faith. And because the object of our faith is perfect, even when our faith is weak, it is counted to us as righteousness and perfect. But the second part, that by believing you may have life in his name. Is uh, is this some sort of uh, prosperity gospel here by having life in his name that I'm going to get rich and famous, that my bank account is going to be full, uh, that I'm going to win the lottery? Uh, what, what, what are we talking about here in John 20, verse 31, the son of, uh, that by believing you may have life in his name? 
It's the life to the full that Jesus talks about in John's Gospel, uh, the life that is forever and ever without end, uh, the life that's at peace without sin, the life that's being with God face to face, the life that uh, you know we kind of American Christians summarize as heaven, uh, resurrected to live with God forever in his kingdom. Having life to the full is sometimes translated uh, or explained by our charismatic friends as uh, if you have a full life, then you have gifts of the Spirit. Uh, You're able to interpret dreams. You're able to uh, speak in tongues. How is that the exact opposite of the context that we have here? Well, that's the thing is um, that's putting the hope not in the Word, but rather in you know, it depends on what it is. If it's a dream, then it's putting it in yourself and your ability for your brain to come up with the right picture overnight. If it's in speaking in tongues, then it's uh, uh, trusting in your ability to make up gobbledygook noises. Uh, if it's in uh, anything else, it's not in the Word, and therefore it's not in Jesus. The Word is powerful. The Word is sufficient. The Word bled, died, and rose again for you. And it is the Word, Jesus Christ, that brings you peace in Him. And that peace and contentment that He gives, you have life to the full, whatever your vocation is. Don't look for more. Christ has given you everything. He's given you himself. Vicar, would you uh, bring things to a close for this second Sunday of Easter by praying the collect? Let us pray. Almighty God, grant that we who have celebrated the Lord's resurrection may by your grace confess in our life and conversation that Jesus is Lord and God. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 For Pastor Moline and Vicar Bader, I am Pastor Clint Poppy. Thanks for tuning in to Proclaiming the One. We'll be back again next week as we look at the third Sunday of Easter. In the meantime, Sunday morning, get up, drink your coffee, read your paper, pray for your pastor, and go to church. God's richest blessings in Christ.